Welcome to the Mike Litton Experience Podcast. Mike has over 31 years experience in real estate, finance, and investing. He's passionate about being a father, a teacher, a realtor, an investor, and a leader. Everyone has a story, and our passion is to help them tell it. And now, introducing the host of the Mike Litton Experience, Mike Litton. So what can you expect from the Mike Litton Experience? You can expect stories that will inspire, motivate, advice that will sharpen your focus, and expert information on real estate, finance, and market conditions. Jeff Fenster, thank you so much for joining us for the Mike Litton Experience, but I know you're busy. I appreciate you taking, out, taking the time out of your schedule to do this. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Well, thank you for having me, Mike, and I'm excited for the mission behind this new show. Um, I love the the passion, and you know, we're talking offline about kind of what your goals are for the show and how you're impacting humans, and so it's an honor and privilege to come on, and thank you for having me. Thank you, buddy. I'm a huge, like I told you before, I'm a huge fan of yours. You. We're going to talk about this book in a little while, um, but my biggest thing is this, and we talked about this, we know that everybody has a story, and our passion is to help them tell it. So with your permission, what we'd like to do is start with where you were born, and then basically let's go through your life, right, up until today, and we can talk about anything you want to talk about, and I, and obviously we want to talk about this, okay? Sure, yeah. Um, I'm gonna, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I was born here in sunny San Diego. Beautiful, uh, you're a native. Native, I'm uh, American born in the family. My parents and sister moved from Montreal, Canada, right before I was born, and I was born here. So nice. first, uh, first American in the entire family tree. That's awesome, uh, bud. But what I'll preface, uh, started in, uh, I was born in the Kaiser down in, um, off of fashion, uh, near Fashion Valley, but it was in Del Cerro. Okay. In, is, um, near Patrick Henry High School. Yeah. And then we Did moved to Scripps Ranch. Henry? Nope. I moved to Scripps Ranch when I was two years old and grew up in Scripps Ranch, went to Scripps Ranch High School, go cool. Falcons, uh, Wagenheim Middle School in Mira Mesa. Beautiful. So what yeah. was your favorite thing about growing up at Scripps Ranch? You know, it was a different time in the 80s and 90s, so it's hard because for those who are young won't appreciate this, but anyone who's, you know, 35 and up, you know, I'm 40, um, it was, the world was very big back then. You know, you didn't have the internet, so your entire source of truth was whatever your parents told you were true, your teachers, or if you had the Encyclopedia Britannica collection, that was like the whole world. So growing up in Scripture Ranch was fun because in San Diego, it's filled with trees and it's like our version of country living in a big city. I mean, we didn't have acres. We had, a, you know, we were in a suburban neighborhood, but the houses were far enough apart that you couldn't reach out and touch your next door neighbor's house. Right. Like a lot of homes are built today. And hand them a beer. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And there was a lot of outdoor playing. So I was never inside, you know, there was no internet, no TV, no computer in my house till I was 14 or 15 years old. So I really got to enjoy nature. There were so many trees, building forts, playing games, playing sports. I mean, this is a dent on my cheek, not a dimple from getting checked on the street. So my life was pretty much go outside and play sports till mom yelled, the streetlights are on, come home. And um, so I really enjoyed the simplicity of growing up in Scripps Ranch. Uh, you know, it was mi mi uh, middle class, so it wasn't uh, super rich, super poor. Like it was comfortable. We had enough. We all had enough money, but not too much where we were driving extreme. Parents weren't driving extremely fancy cars. Um, and it was just it was a good childhood. I mean, I if I could duplicate that for my kids, I would. Unfortunately, in today's world with technology, it's not possible. But it was a good childhood. You know, the thing is, and 
I'll start by saying, and I say this on stages, I'm an ordinary guy. I'm five foot nine, average height. I'm athletic, but not uh, and you know professional sports athletics. I went to college and law school, but I'm not Mensa smart. I didn't get a 1600 on my SATs. I got an average SAT score of 3.8 in high school. Like I'm on the higher end of average. And the thing is, I wanted to, I never could figure out what I was really going to do with my life. I wanted to be a professional athlete. Wasn't good enough. Um, even though, and the fun, funny thing I joke is, you know, I went to high school with Kellen Winslow, who's now in prison, but played in the NFL. Um, Oh, junior. Kellen Winslow, yeah, junior. junior. Yeah. Okay. And so we played football together. And I can tell you, the scouts were there. <laughs> they did not see me. They saw me and chose not to take me. So I don't have that in my back of my mind. Well, maybe if I had only been seen. No, I was seen and I, I wasn't selected. And I could never see myself doing that one thing. You know, my dad was a doctor. My mom was a teacher. And they were like, you got to find that thing, your career. You got to find that thing you can do. And I grew up in a house that the word entrepreneurship or business ownership was never in the cards. It was lawyer, doctor, accountant, pick one, because that's how you can make some money. And, you know, they're old school kind of parents that thought that way. Um, and so I really never had no idea what I was going to do. And so I bounced around from job to job. I would try things. And my mom and dad would used to always say like, Jeff, you've got to find something. Like, no subject got me. I was never in love with any of it. And so I say all this because I think for a lot of people are similar. You know, I now that I travel the country and I talk to a lot of people, a lot of people are like, yeah, you know, I just... I don't feel like I'm exceptional at one thing. And I don't know how I'm going to get to the top of this one thing. And I don't really like that thing. And I don't want to spend 40 years doing something. And so a lot of my high school was really trying things. I mean, I worked for eight different companies. And I say companies, I had eight jobs, Blockbuster Video, Pickup Sticks, uh, Walter Anderson's Nursery, delivering pizzas at Domino's, making pizzas at Pozzo's Pizza, working at mailboxes, et cetera. Like if you had a job, I'd take it. And if I didn't like it, I'd quit. Like it was no stick to I was I'm in, I'm out, I'm in, I'm out, I'm in, I'm out. And it was true about all things like sports. You know, I played football and baseball very competitively, but otherwise I played everything. I just liked activity and I did not like school, did not like offices, but I always interned. And I did that through my childhood because growing up in Scripps Ranch, as I mentioned, you don't really have a lot of exposure to things outside of your neighborhood back then. And so my mom and dad, fortunately, used to always say to me like, hey, Jeff, go get an internship to make your college resume stronger. It was never for anything other than that, but mm -hmm. I saw something else from it. When I went and did an internship with a family friend at his, you know, it's called Black Rock, not Black Rock like at everyone else knows, but it was like a black, a, a small office called Black Rock uh, Investments. And it was like stock market. And I would just be there doing boxes and nonsense, but I was exposed to this environment or David Meltzer, who's one of my you know longest mentors, he was the CEO of a publicly traded company. I got to go intern for him for a summer and I got to intern at his interior door replacement company. I got to just see business and meet adults when I was a teenager. And I started to learn things without realizing I was learning it that carried into the book, which we'll get to, mm -hmm. and how I've been able to build a career taking what was a perceived weakness into a positive. And that's my entrepreneurial ADD, if you will, or the fact that I don't like to do one thing over and over and over again for 40 years. So my childhood was really a, a blessing in disguise. Well, while I was not a bad kid, I pushed the limits. Uh, I got in some trouble. Did the stupid things kids do, you know, girls sneaking out, doing dumb things I probably shouldn't do and want to probably put on tape. Uh, you know, but you still don't want your parents to know about. <laughs> I mean, actually, I have a funny story. I've actually never said, shared this. So when I was 17 years old, me and two uh, buddies went down to Tijuana. And 
we were going to go get cigarettes because you can't get them at eight. And, you know, you had to be 18 here. There's right. no ID. So we went down there to get cigarettes. Well, one of my buddies bought a bottle of Valium. And as we're, we bought it from a little pharmacy, well, I, we didn't know, but the pharmacy has a deal with the customs agents that when American teenagers come call ahead, they get their drugs back and we get popped at the border. So as we're driving back Whoa. from Mexico across the U.S. border in my truck, just me and two buddies, they pull us over, they search the thing, they find the value. And it wasn't like a felony or anything, but it was a four hour detainment and, you know, the whole thing. Well, fast forward, my dad was going for global entry about six, seven years ago. And in the interview, because I was in his car registered to him, they pulled him aside and said, Mr. Fenster, are you still doing any smuggling? And he found out about it 20 something years later because of global entry. So, you know, dumb things as kids. You but, have something you want to tell me, son? Yeah. Like, <laughs> hey, what the hell did you do with my car? Uh, <laughs> and wow. I can assure you, I don't know where I'd be if my whole childhood was on tape like these kids today, you know, because we were dumb kids. But it was important. It was part of my childhood. And then uh, I went to college at University of Arizona. Um, I went there thinking I was going to have a business major. And I went there and I boxed at the university. And um, my grandfather was a you know, he was a pharmacist, but he also was a professional boxer. He had all, only daughters and I was his oldest grandson and boxing was his thing. So I took that up as a thing we shared together. And yeah. after I broke my nose twice, I realized I don't want to be a boxer. Um, I'm five, nine with short arms. So I get hit a lot and right. I didn't see a, I didn't see a path to riches. I didn't see myself as the next Floyd Mayweather. So, yeah. um, switched my major like four times in college from business. I couldn't do the accounting class. So I dropped out of that and switched to something else. Then finally I ended in regional development with a minor in law and I almost dropped out of college. You know, I, I was like, this, this isn't for me. So my sophomore year, my dad's like, don't drop out, just graduate early, take extra classes and just get done. Just get the degree finish. So I did. Um, I took summer school that year. My third year of, law, of college was my last year. I did uh, U of A in three years, graduated at 21 and Still didn't really know what I was going to do. I wanted to be a sports agent, but you had to have a law degree. And I wasn't sure if I was going to get into law school because my college grades were okay, not fantastic. And college uh, law school doesn't really like young 21-year-olds. They really want you to have maturity. And so they tend to want older, established people. It helps with the resume unless you have like a walk-on-water resume. And so I applied to law schools across the country and I enlisted in the Marine Corps at the same time. And I told the Marines that if I get into law school, I'm going to go to law school. But if not, I'll join the Marine Corps. And did the ASVAB, took, took the test, was going to be a special police. And this was 2000 and uh, this is for uh, summer of 2001. Um, no, excuse me, summer of 2004, excuse me, not right. 2000, 2004, right after we, I think they had just invaded Iraq after Afghanistan. Right. And I picked a job, special police, that I knew I was going to stay in the U.S. for the first three years of my thing, uh, protecting military bases, nuclear stuff. I didn't really want to go to Iraq, so... Um, that job seemed okay. And I got into two law schools and one in Miami and one in Orlando. And I told the Marines, I'm going to go to law school. And then I went to my first year of law school in Miami at 21 years old. And to be a sports agent was the plan and did really well. Transferred to San Diego at Thomas Jefferson after my first year and finished law school at 24 here in San Diego. And was going to be a sports agent, had a job lined up at Lee Steinberg Sports Agency through David Meltzer, who was the president of Lee Steinberg's agency. And I had Kellen Winslow as a friend and a bunch of other athlete friends like uh, Sean Merriman was a, was a good buddy. He, he bought a house when he became to the Chargers right up the street from my parents. So we started hanging out and just had a lot of access to athletes and, and friendships that could open doors. And so I was like, OK, I can't play sports. I'll be in the sports world. 
And my third year of law school in San Diego, I met the woman who's now my wife and we have a daughter. And um, I realized when I graduated law school with a daughter and a fiance, I, I didn't want to travel around the country and world representing grownups because back then before social media, you had to physically, we didn't have zoom. So you had to physically go to every meeting. You were gone 24 seven. All of the sports agents were divorced or in terrible marriages. And I was like, and didn't have relationships with their kids. And I had that moment where I was like, okay, I don't want to do this. So I got a job selling payroll for a company called ADP. And, you know, my dad was pretty pissed at me because he's like, you just took out six figures in law school loans, went to law school. You're not a lawyer. You're not a sports agent. And you got the job. You still don't know what you're going to do. And you're jumping around again. Like you're still the same teenage kid. Here you go. Figure out <laughs> what he's going to do. And now you have mouths to feed. Like yeah. you have responsibility. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'll figure it out. So I, I got a job selling payroll for a company, mm -hmm. ADP. And utilizing relationship capital, the the years I'd spent interning that I had mentioned before in San Diego with a bunch of businesses and making friendships with people older than me allowed me to quickly go to them and say, hey, I, I'm selling payroll. Who do you know who may you could introduce me to that could help me get ahead? And they opened their Rolodexes for me and they were literally Rolodexes or pamphlets with actual business cards. And back then, yeah. <laughs> yeah, warm introductions were made. And my first six months at ADP, I was the number one sales rep in the country. And made president's club, made six figures, did all the things that I was like, this is great. Like, I'll just do this forever. Yeah. And bought a house, my first house in Mira Mesa in 2007 mm -hmm. and moved my family in. Um, and thought this was wonderful. And okay, this is my, this is going to be what we do. And funny enough, January, 2008, I had hit a milestone that my employer had put into my contract that said, cause I got $38,000 base pay plus commission. And mm -hmm. I don't know where you live in the country, but in San Diego, $38,000 is zero. Yeah. <laughs> like zero. Might be less than zero. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we pay $5 a gallon for gas. Like you just can't survive on that, let alone take yeah. care of your family. The commission helped me and I made six figures through commission, but I had negotiated, how do I get a bigger base? They said, sell this amount. So I did. And I did it in six months. I went to my boss, Ashley, in January of 08. And I said, hey, I achieved the milestone. When do I get my raise? And she said, not to the end of the fiscal year, which would be the end of June. You get it in July which was six months from now. And I just remember the feeling of like, you see almost like a snapshot of your future and you're just unhappy. You're like, is this really going to be my life where regardless of what I do, like I'm the number one sales rep, so I can't do better than that. Right. And I still can't get my raise until then. And I was 24 at the time. And um, I remember having a huge ego and I threatened to quit if they wouldn't give it to me, thinking there was no way they would let Jeff Fenster walk out the door. I was wrong. And they said, listen, you can quit if you want to quit. She bet went to battle for me up the chain, but there was nothing that they were going to do. And she's like, you can quit if you're going to quit, but we can't give you the raise. And so I went home and I told my fiance, I want to sell the house, move in with my parents. I want to start my own payroll company because FADP. And that was really just the chip on my shoulder. And she said, okay, my dad was livid because here I am now quitting the six figure job that, and I have a house and a kid and a fiance. And now I have a successful career at 24, like where she didn't think I was going to have right. and quitting that to do something like start my own payroll company. He's like, Jeff, you've been there six months. Like, what, what do you know about any of this? Mm -hmm. But he said something to me and I've never forgot it. And I think it's important for people listening. Cause he said, you don't have the privilege to chase wild, crazy dreams. You have kids. Mm -hmm. And I said, dad, I see that the opposite side. I think I have an obligation to go after my dreams because I have kids. Mm -hmm. They're looking up to me. They're, They're going to watch you and emulate me. So if I yeah. settle 
and I stash my dreams and hopes away and I just do what I have to do and settle with my life, I'm teaching them that when they're grown up, they're going to settle. That's and the I, wrong example. Yeah, that's the wrong example. And I think the problem a lot of us make is we think we have to sacrifice our dreams to make better for our children. But what we fail to realize is we're creating a vicious cycle, which they're going to do the same thing instead of teaching them to go after it with everything they've got. I can always get another job. Yeah. Clearly, right. Jobs are jobs are available. It may not be my dream job, but if I'm going to settle, I can settle later. Let's swing for the fence. If I miss, I can always settle. I'm not right. going to settle out the gates. And so he said, okay, you guys can come stay with us. But um, he was not happy about it. And so I quit my job, sold the house, moved in with my parents and started my first payroll company, my first company, a payroll business out of my mom's kitchen called iChecks with a buddy of mine. And that was my foray into entrepreneurship, which I never thought I would be in. I had never said that word before. If ADP would have given me my raise, I'd probably still be there today. Who knows? <laughs> I'm running the company. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but because of them, I became an entrepreneur and that was my thrust into it. And so grew that company. Um, of course, 2008 was the Great Recession. So the timing couldn't have been worse. Um, but same thing. I utilized making friends, solution-based selling, relationship capital. That's how I grow my businesses. That's how I sell all my products and services. And I don't do transactional sales. I do lifelong sales. So I don't sell you something and never see you again. I find a solution for a problem you have. And then I'll find another solution for your next problem over and over and over again. And I'm going to build that long-term value-based relationship. So we're friends forever. And so I was able to sell a lot of payroll, build the company with my buddy. And we sold it in 2011 um, to a company in Florida. And then during that process, I had started a recruiting agency that I had also sold um, to, in 2012 and had my second daughter in 2011. So now I had two kids, a six-year gap and um, didn't really decide what, you know, once we sold the company, I was like, okay, now what? I figured I wanted to work from a computer. So I started a digital marketing agency and yeah. through a friend, Pat Flynn, I got introduced to Neil Patel mm -hmm. and convinced Neil to be my partner. And so we partnered together for about four and a half, five years and worked with some of the biggest websites out there and had a lot of fun making a lot of money, doing a lot of cool stuff. I also had a couple of failures before the digital marketing. So everyone understands it's not all successes. I had a few trial tries in companies that just didn't work out. But what's cool is you don't spend have to spend much time on your failures. And I think society, we spend too much time being the victim of things that go wrong. Mm -hmm. But really quickly, if you forget about them and move on to what's next, like I, I've been asked like, hey, why don't you talk more about your failures? And you're always talking about positivity stuff. Like, why don't you spend more time on the negatives and the failures? And it's because I don't spend much time there because I want to replace them with positive. And if I give them too much attention and intention, then they become bigger in my brain. They become bigger in my world and they become longer in my life. But if I quickly move on, they're gone. Well, you learn, right? You learn. You learn valuable lessons from failing fast. Right? Failing and fast. You, and you move on. You move on with life. You learn what you need to learn. You move on. My my son was on a basketball team in high school, and he was the MVP. So junior and soft, junior and senior year, last two years, and he was by far the most dominant player on the team. And when he would play these Division One recruits, he would absolutely just dominate them. And there were scouts in the in the seats. You know, there were scouts scouting these guys. They saw him. They saw what he did. Right? He never got he never got any play because he was with a Division Five school and that kind of thing. So they didn't pay attention to him. So he didn't have a scholarship in in basketball coming out of high school. But he would lose a lot. Like his team lost a lot. And I kept telling him, 
you're going to look, you're going to learn more from losing than you ever will from winning ever. Right. Just focus on getting better. You know, I mean, it's a big, big deal. And it's a big lesson in life. And you want your kids to watch you do that. You want them to see you as an example, like you're saying, to go through that. Let me ask you a couple of real quick questions, if that's okay. Please. By the way, there's a couple of, there's a couple of stories that I want you to tell that, that so, and by the way, just so you know, this is a really, really tiny world we live in. You mentioned it earlier when the, when the world was bigger, right? So you and I scheduled our appointment to do a Zoom interview for our podcast. Two days later, I'm in a room with a guy that's talking about different companies that he works with and different people that he works with. And he throws an Everbowl logo up on the, on the screen. And I'm literally sitting there going, I'm going to be talking to Jeff in just a few days, right? Literally a matter of days. So Roland Frazier taught um, Epic for two days. And I had an opportunity to, to, to audit, if you will, that class. Um, Sam Cormian, um, you know, Sam, um, yep. invited me to to come be a part of it for two days. So uh, it just absolutely blew my mind. I'm literally sitting there and, and Roland's telling me, oh yeah, we're in business together. You know, the whole thing, right? So great. I've known Roland forever. Uh, yeah, it's tiny, man. Virgin tiny. Summit back in my digital marketing days. He's an investor in Everbull. We yeah. did business deals together. He's an incredible guy. Yeah, he really is. I just, he blew my mind for two days. I mean, I just, it was crazy. So so question for you, or a couple of questions for you. When you were in high school, did you have a, you mentioned football and baseball, right? Did you have a particular sport that you, that you preferred? I loved football more. I was better at baseball. Okay. what did you play? What position did you play in football? Running back and cornerback. Oh, got it. Okay, cool. And I'll, so, I can <laughs> tell you, I still to this day think if I, if given, if given the chance, could have done something. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's never know. Maybe I'll be the next Vincent Papali. There's a lot of there's a lot going on in the sports world, you know, in terms of typecasting, right? Um, And putting people under this particular, you know, right. And what's interesting to me is is if you look at, and this is why I love people's life stories. If you look at some of these people, like uh, Austin Eckler, right? Who good friend of mine. Yeah, I mean, unbelievable, right? Came out of nowhere, and now oh, is wow. the, one of the one of the, I think the one of the highest paid, one of the most productive running backs in the in the NFL. Um, he's also an entrepreneur. He's got an incredibly cool new company that that he's working on that um, you'll be hearing a lot about, and it's going to change the, the entire dynamics with college sports and and how they interact with athletes in the NIL space. And you know, I was just uh, doing a call with him and his team last week as we're, we're kind of going through some stuff and. I'm excited for him. I mean, he he's he's the he's the total package on yeah. and off the field. I'd love to get him on this podcast if you can. Happy help. to connect you. That'd be awesome. So those are the stories that I love, right? So when you were so growing up, who was the most influential person to you growing up? That I knew or that I didn't know but looked up to. Well, just the most influential person. So, like for instance, in my life, my the most influential person in my life growing up was my grandfather. He was like a father to me. We were super, super close. In fact, we were in business together for nine years, um, that kind of thing. So anybody who who was the most, when you look back on your childhood, who was the most influential person? Doesn't have to be family. Just who was the person yeah. that sticks out? I mean, it actually is my grandfather. Um, 
the boxer. Yeah. I mean, he, he was in Montreal. So I only got to see him a couple of times a year. I went there all summer when I was growing up as a kid, but I had, I, I used, I, if he went to the bathroom in the middle of the night, I woke up and followed him. I mean, I, yeah. I just couldn't. You were a shadow. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yes. I was his shadow. Um, I, you know, he had his own pharmacy. I used to go and spend the days in his pharmacy, just being around him. Yeah. And it was just, he had this, he had a boxer's mindset mm-hmm. and I was just so attracted to it I guess it was just like so infectious for me and it was never about like it was never like oh no I got punched or oh no you're small and you're the underdog like I always had small dog syndrome as I said I was the small fast kid that had to work twice as hard to to win and to compete and to play and for me to play with the bigger kids I had to work and do those things so it it was like he kind of solidified that in life for me and so it was just like he believed in me he was kind of always my champion I never had a brother I had sisters and my mom and dad were you know, they just weren't, they were my parents, but they weren't my, my, like, they weren't thinking about pushing me in the areas that I wanted to be pushed in where he was kind of pushing me in those areas like sports and those areas. And so I just really looked up to him and the things he had to overcome. And he, I just never saw that man ever complain, ever say, poor me, pity party. Like it just never came out of his mouth. I, or at least I never saw. Yeah. And it was just like, that was my, you know, he was my, my, idol if you will um and then david Meltzer, as i mentioned yeah you know he was about 13 years older than me and so i got to we're very similar and he'll tell you the same thing like personality wise and he also has small dog syndrome and um just kind of leaned on on those two i think as my outside of like friends and close you know like people that i looked up to and adored and then famous people I mean, you can see these two jerseys. They're here for a reason um, because Kobe Bryant, because he maximized his potential. And I think that that's, it's amazing what you can accomplish when you just maximize your own potential. Most people don't. And so it becomes very easy to win. I, I win a lot, not because I'm better than most people. It's just because I work harder and I'm going to, I'm going to do the things you won't do. And it's just it, you know, they, that saying hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Mm-hmm. It's true. And I make a living doing it. Not to say I'm not, I don't have talent. I'm just saying there are people way smarter, way more capable, way more aptitude could do all the things I'm doing better than I can. They just won't do what I'm, they won't do all the steps. They won't work hundred percent. I will. And so I get to win doing that. And he was kind of like one of the best examples of maximizing it. And then the Jordan Jersey, cause he's four, this is 40 year old Jordan on the wizards and it's I'm 40. And so it's a memory for me of just, you know, I watched Jordan dominate competitive nature and again, settle for nothing less than winning in your best. And, even at 40, he came back. And so, cause I'm 40, it's just a memory to me. Like age doesn't stop you from accomplishing or doing anything. Like you can reinvent your life anytime you want. You can come back and dominate as long as you come out and do it with the right approach. And so my, my grandfather and Dave were like the people I knew looking up to and then sports world, you know, these two and Bo Jackson. You know, I find Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan fascinating because of their work ethic. That's right. Right. Like the stories that people tell about Kobe Bryant showing up at the gym at three o'clock in the morning and he's he's going to he's going to sink a thousand three pointers before anybody hits the gym. Right. I mean, those are just numbers that just completely boggle somebody's mind. Right. Like, a you know, another example would be a Tiger Woods that literally hit balls until he had, you know, blisters all over his fingers and. You know, people, he had tape all over his fingers when he played. 
And it was because he had blisters. Yeah. I mean, you know, because he hit food. thousands and thousands of golf balls. And he whatever anybody else did, he always took it to another level. Those right. are the those are the kinds of people that just they just blow my mind in terms of that in that level of intensity, that drive, that just I'm absolutely gonna outwork you. You're never gonna outwork me. And that's always been my success in in business, in anything that I've ever done. I've always been the guy that was willing to outwork everybody. So, it, it, it's because it works, right? Success leaves clues. And I think a lot of people who yeah. are trying to be successful or and ask me or ask mentors or, you know, I get hit up a lot on social media these days with like, hey, can I pick your brain? Can we get on a call? Like I'm struggling here. Can and they just they they want they want the get rich quick scheme or trick or magic pill. Yeah. But it's not complicated because whatever industry, you can immediately be in the top five to ten percent if you just outwork everybody. Yeah. To be the absolute best, okay. You now you're competing with people who are also working their asses off, and so you know skill, aptitude, technical expertise, like the, those things to learn stuff are going to play eventually. But you can immediately be in the top five to ten percent if you just outwork everybody. And if you're not willing to do it, it's because whatever it is that you're required to put that work into, you don't like it, love it, or want it enough. And exactly. so if those are the truths. While I'm a positive guy and I try to help everybody. It's sometimes telling you the hard truth is important and, and you got to take a mirror moment and say, okay, is this really what I want to be doing? Is this where I really want to invest all my energy and effort? Because if it's not, you're going to lose to guys like me and girls out there same that are just going to outwork you in the industry. And it's, you may be like, man, I'm smarter than him or I am so much better at it than him. Why is he beating me? It's because I'm outworking you and that's it. And so if you're not going to put in the time, I'm sorry. And I'll share because we, I think it's important to share stories. My, one of my favorite Kobe Bryant stories is actually uh, Jason Williams from Duke told this story. And he said, you know, he was a rookie and he was playing the Lakers and he was like, okay, I'm playing against Kobe. I want to, I want to impress. I'm going to get to the uh, arena early. I'm going to put in extra work tonight. So he gets to the arena. He's like, I get, you know, the game is at seven. So he got there at about two o'clock. And when he's like, when I walked into the gym, Kobe was already in drenched in sweat. Like it looks like he'd been there for hours. You know, I sat down, I was putting my shoes, and I watched him for a minute. And he was just working on very simple footwork and very simple things, but with an intensity level. So I saw him and I was like, okay. And then I went and did my thing for about an hour and a half, you know, and I paid no attention to him because I was focused. And I sit down, I'm taking my shoes off and I look and he's still going with the same intensity. And I watch him for about 10 minutes and I go inside the gym. And then, and then we come out, we play and Kobe drops 40 on me and us. And after the game, I walk up to him like, Kobe, like, I just have to know, man. Like, I really thought I was going to come in here and put in a little extra work and show you. And he's like, yeah, I saw you walk in and I wanted you to know that no matter how hard you work, I'm going to outwork and work harder. And no matter what you do, you will never outwork me. And I just wanted you to know that and he did that to a rookie when he was already a champion and an all-star and he didn't care because it was a mixture of that killer mindset of I'm going to win and you will not outwork me. Mm -hmm. That is a mindset that I fall in love with because um, mm -hmm. you can control it. You can't control what we can't control. You can't control macro events. You can't control whether or not someone signs on the dotted line. You can't control whether or not the product passes FDA approval or people like it. Those are out of your control. But what you can control, if you do those to the best of your ability, you will win and you will find success in whatever it is you're doing. And so one of those things is work your ass off because mm -hmm. your attention and, and ability to do that does not require skill does not matter if you're a rookie day one or an extremely successful and experienced individual anyone can put in the same amount of time because we all get 24 hours mm -hmm. and so if you can do it with focus and that's just one of the secrets that i have found through my success formula for success and how i've been able to create it and what i'm trying to share with everyone else and part it starts with 
that work ethic. And these guys are that reminder to me. Yeah, I'm with you. Do you know who Harvey McKay is? Uh, no. So he wrote a book called Swim with the Sharks Without Being Eaten Alive. And this absolutely trumps that book a thousand percent. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Harvey McKay was one of, is still today, one of my favorite people in the world. I'm going to read the book. fan of his. What's that? I'm going to read the book. How to Swim yeah. with the Sharks Without how Being Eaten shark- How to Swim with the Sharks Without Being Eaten Alive. And, and how do you spell the last thing, name? Say again? How do you spell the last name? Harvey McKay. It's M-A-C-K-A-Y. <clears throat> super super good book but it's going to talk about rolodex through the whole book he talks about rolodex right and at least you know what a rolodex is i'm interviewing people that don't know what a rolodex is i'm not joking man i mentioned rolodex to my 25 year old son the other day like, he just looked that? at me like no dad it's called a rolex it's what a is that dad what is that you know yeah i missed an o right so or an o and a d so um so question for you. And I just, I just want to, so I, I, so, so you go to, you go to college, you graduate, you end up getting into law school. What was it that, what was it that drove you to be in law? I mean, I know, I know that you wanted to be a sports agent. Was that really, was that the driving force in terms of, in terms of going to law school? Yeah, I read a book from Drew Rosenhaus, who's a very big name sports agent. He has a book called A Shark Never Sleeps. Okay. And he talks about how he broke into the sports agency world. Yeah. And it, he said he went to law school. And through law school, he learned contract work. And from there, he was able to get in. And so I said, okay. I mean, success leaves clues. I don't need to think I'm smarter than anyone else. I will take the path and, and get there quick. So if Drew Rosenhaus went to law school to do it, and David Meltzer went to law school to do it, and uh, Lee Steinberg and a lot of these agents have law degrees. And I was like, oh, well, I wasn't a former athlete, so I don't have that on my resume. Yeah. So why don't I come with the legal side, the law side, and be able to say, hey, I can handle a lot of the contract work. I can handle a lot of the legal stuff. I know how to read these things and understand them because we're going to be doing a lot of it. And so that's what I did. And that's why I went to it. I mean, it was cool. literally cool. on a whim. I mean, I took the LSAT and then applied. I got you. So when you move, when you when you went to Miami, you went to Miami for a year. Then you moved to Thomas Jefferson. Why that move? Well, I never wanted to go to Miami. It's just one of the few that accepted me. And, um, you know, I was 21 in Miami. I didn't know a soul. All the other people in law school were 24, 25, 26, 27. Um, Had no friends and didn't really want to stay in Miami. I mean, I was isolated and I wanted to go back to San Diego where I had my network, my, my comfort level, you know. LA, California. And so, and not to mention, I, I, there were two hurricanes that year and um, they weren't the funnest thing to be around. And they're not. And the thing about the level of law school, like the law school I got into was the low tier. Mm -hmm. um, And, you know, it's a tier four law school. So it's, it's not Harvard. And the way they handle admissions is they accept 40% more first year law students than they want in the second year. So they're going to drop 40%. Wow. regardless of your grade. So it's a, it's curve based, which means if we take a multiple choice test out of a hundred and 50% of the class gets 92 out of a hundred and I get 89 out of a hundred, I'm not getting a B. I'm you. getting a C, D or F based on the curve. And I they're kicking you. out the bottom 40, which means you're competing against all your classmates on top of the fact that I don't know anybody. So how close can you get with these people that I'm competing with? Gotcha. And um, I just, it just wasn't the place I felt like I went because I had a mission. And I said, okay, how do I transfer? I contacted the school in San Diego, Cal Western and Thomas Jefferson. They both said, if you're in the top 10% of your class, we accept transfers. 
Beautiful. Now I have the path. That's my target. So I went and finished top 10% of my class, best I ever did in school, and um, transferred back. And I just, I worked my ass off that first year. I read everything. I studied 10 hours a day. I mean, it was school, home, workout, study, sleep, school, home, workout, sleep, the whole thing. Uh, barely saw any of it. Never really partied much in Miami, even though I was 21 in South Beach. Like I didn't, I didn't care. I had a mission. It was to get back to Southern California, be that sports agent where, you know, my friends were Sean, like I said, Sean Merriman was there, Kellen Winslow, Dave Meltzer, like my in was there. So I had to get back there. I did call Drew Rosenhaus trying to get a job internship with him and he turned me down because in his book, he says he would never have an intern, but I called him anyway. Right. And I, he still wouldn't, he wouldn't let me work with him. Yeah. Well, it was worth a shot. Yeah, of course. Hey, no, that's the thing. In sales, no doesn't bother me. Yeah. Great. It's First no thing he's going to say is no, right? Right. And now I so I have a couple of stories that I absolutely have to have you tell us on tape. Okay. Okay. Now, the first one is a little bit selfish, just okay. so you know. I used to work as a grocery store clerk. Man, I was nice. a journeyman clerk working my way through through high through um, college yeah. after high school. And one of my favorite customers was Junior Seau's mall. Hmm. I literally worked in the San, San Luis Rey Valley in Oceanside, right down the street from, I actually worked in her favorite store. And we had a thing called three's a crowd. So if you had more than three people in your line, they had to come open another register and take people out of the line. They tried to take her out of my line and she's 12 people deep and she won't leave. <laughs> True story. And every single time she came in, she wanted me to come over for dinner. Oh. They were some, she and her husband were two of my favorite people in the world. That story about the grocery clerk who 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 refers you, tell that story real quick. Yeah. yeah. So um I bought my house, you know, after I It's in the book, it. by the way. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a story I tell on stage because I think it 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 brings home the point that if you don't understand the power of relationship capital, you're missing out on one of the elevators in life. Totally in anything you want. And I don't care if it's I'm not in business. Why do I need it? You need it. Yeah. For your children's sake, for your sake, for everything and anything. I mean, humans trade off of this unspoken capital with each other. And I'll say 85 to 90 percent of wealth and opportunity I have in my entire life, you know, and I've made millions of dollars, had a lot of great opportunities. It's got nothing to do with me. It's got to do with friends of mine who have opened doors and created opportunity for me. Yeah. And so how you do that is by making friends with everybody. And the mistake I see nine out of 10 people make is they ignore the people that they don't perceive to themselves to have any intrinsic value. Like mm -hmm. why would the checkout clerk at, and for my, in my story, it's Albertsons, but pick your grocery store. Why, why would that person help me? I don't know. It doesn't matter. They're a human being. So why don't I just get to know them a little bit? Right. It was my, you know, I moved my, at this time, payroll company moved my, my daughter and wife at this point into another new house out of Mira Mesa. I'm now in San Aleo Hills and I'm going to the Albertsons and I'm going there once a week. I mean, it's the same people. You start to recognize faces and you can put your head in your phone and ignore them, or you can make eye contact, say, Hey, how was your day? And over time you see him again and again and again, I come in with my daughter. She knew I had a daughter. She knew I eventually had a payroll business. I knew she had dogs. She goes to dog beach on the weekend. So it's like, Hey, how are you? How was your weekend? Oh, it was good. Did you go to the dog beach? Yeah. My, me and my dog were there. Did you take your daughter to the park or the zoo? Yeah. You know, whatever. Small talk. Like we never went out to dinner. We never left the grocery store. But I wasn't ignoring her like nine out of 10 other humans would through the through the line. Yeah. And that is the mistake, I think, where people say, well, I don't get those opportunities. Well, 
you do, you just don't recognize them. They're right in front of you. And so what she did one day, about, I don't know, 18 months after I'd moved into the neighborhood and seen her for 18 months, she said, you have a payroll business, don't you, Jeff? And I said, yeah. She goes, my brother is having a real issue at his company. I don't know what it's about, but it's payroll related. Can I give him your number? Or can I connect you guys? Can he reach out? I said, yes, I was expecting nothing from this. I don't know the size of this company. I don't know who he is. I was just going to do a favor for somebody I barely know, but I know. And I was like, yeah, sure. No problem. Gives me his number or gives him my number. He calls me. We talk, find out his payroll issue. We help him. He then switches over to my company. And he had over a thousand employee company, which in payroll is a huge company. I mean, my largest company at that point was under a hundred employees. So this was like the biggest client I could have ever dreamed about getting. And the hard thing about getting them is you can't get one without one because they all want to know who else do you do payroll for? Why would we give you such a large company? So it's like, how do you get one if you can't don't already have one? It's that chicken and egg conundrum that a lot of companies deal with. Yeah. And I got it because he gave me an egg. He said, here you go for helping me. And my my sister said, you were a nice guy and you proved it by helping and you, you asked for nothing from it. And you guys have the capability and the aptitude to do it here. And so once we got that account, it almost doubled our revenue. It was a six-figure a year recurring revenue account. It doubled our annualized revenue as an organization. And now I could go to every company under a thousand employees and they won't be my biggest. And I could say, yeah, we work with blank. And everyone knew that name of that company. And I was able to stockpile more and more large size companies and take our company from a small mom and pop size payroll organization to a national payroll and HR, HRIS platform that was able to be sold. And I attribute the entirety of that story to the checkout clerk at Albertsons, which I do mention in my book because people say, oh, that's just lucky. It is. It is lucky because for every checkout clerk, they won't all have a payroll a brother who needs a payroll issue. But here's the difference. I create my luck because I ask, I make friends with everybody. Mm -hmm. So eventually I'm going to hit the checkout clerk or the person at Starbucks or the waiter or waitress at the restaurant or the person at the car dealership or the person sitting on in line at the airport. I'm going to find the human that's going to have an opportunity to help me. And they're going to want to help me because I made a relationship with them. Yeah. So it may take me a year. It may take me 18 months. It may take me 2,406 relationships to get there. I'm going to get there. And then you're going to call me lucky, but you can do the same thing. Exactly. And, and that's, that's the best that's thing. It. That's the best thing about this book. The best thing about this book is absolutely anybody can get out of their phone, mm -hmm. have a conversation with another person, help that person, even if it's just, how are you doing today? Yep. Okay. When I was in, when I worked for Lucky Stores, who became Albertsons, by the way, mm -hmm. when I, when I, I remember Lucky. Lucky Stores, I had the longest line perpetually all the time. Because the people that would come in, I would ask them, how are you doing today? How's your daughter? How's Junior How's Junior doing? You know, right? All those types of things. I mean, it was unreal. Mrs. Mrs. Sayal was in one of my, it was in a, a checkout line, in my checkout line one time. And there was a guy that was threatening us. He was two people ahead of her. And he was literally standing back there threatening us as, as the line was coming. And... So I called a couple of buddies of mine that I lifted weights with that were working at the time. And I had them come up just kind of back up. Right. And it, and this guy gets up and he gets up to me and takes one look past me down the way. And his demeanor changed instantly. And it's like, 
what in the world just happened? I turned around and the largest human being I've ever seen on the planet is standing behind me. It's her nephew. Okay. And I looked at him and I said, what just happened? And he said, she did this. He had driven her to the grocery store, was going to carry her groceries for her. He was standing outside because he doesn't like being in grocery store. He was standing outside watching her through the window. She did this and he shows up and all of a sudden the threat's over. That's over. Okay. But if I hadn't ever engaged her, if I hadn't ever had a relationship, you with me? I I'm mean, anyway, it's just, it just, this, this is one of the most brilliant things I've ever read in my life. I'm not joking. And I'm so proud of you. So, you. okay. There's another story I need you to tell. Okay. And I love this story, partly because I'm a Padres fan. And I love Petco Park and all that kind of stuff. Right. But I love, love, love this Petco Park thing. I also love the, the, and I don't know if you can tell, but I'm shaking. I, I love the fact that you started a construction company called We Build Stuff. Yep. <laughs> I just think that's the coolest thing ever. Okay, so you worked on Petco Park, worked on the Padres for a while, for quite a while, right? And Years. it was this, it was something you call pleasantly persistent. Presently persistent. There we go. I, I have it here, I promise. Or so pain in the it's, ass. it's called pleasantly persistent, right? And there's an actual system. When you download, when you download your the there's a bonus in here, right? There's a QR code in here. I'm sorry, I'm not. I didn't have it queued up, uh, but there's a QR code in here. And if you if you if you download the if you download the the uh, the playbook, right? It's awesome. Anyway, so let's talk about let's talk about you you worked on the Padres pleasantly persistent, and and the system is here. Like you put it out you know do this first do this second totally cool tell that story real quick yeah so this is with everbowl um, right. you know the padres are known to have local food offerings from local restaurants inside the stadium and i'm like well i have at this time 12 14 everbowls i'm like we should be in the stadium mm -hmm. and i'm a diehard lifelong part i mean i even sold peanuts and cracker jacks in high school at the stadium well not that stadium it was a jack murphy qualcomm back then but side note and they opened petco on my 21st birthday and i was there um that's awesome yeah it was cool so i was like hey I, everyone should be there so i'd call no call no and this is where people get discouraged oh i can't get in and the thing is no doesn't mean no forever no means no today right and so i would set up a reminder in my phone every friday and i like to do it on fridays because people tend to be in a better mood on friday mm -hmm. and i also learned this from my payroll days because how i used to get payroll clients with to get through gatekeepers is i used to bring them payday bars the little candy bar mm -hmm. on fridays on payday and i'd be like hey i know we're not your payroll company but it's your payday and i'm here to give you a payday anyway one day i want to deliver you checks with these candy bars and i would do that make some cute charismatic thing and try to Love win it. business so fridays were my pleasantly persistent fridays or pain in the ass fridays um and i would call and i would call susan at delaware north which ran the padres every friday and every friday i would say hey susan it's jeff from everbowl i wanted to see if today's the day you're going to help me get an, a meeting so i can bring everbowl into petco park and she would say jeff you don't have to call me every friday and i would say yes i do because i don't know when the opportunity is going to be there right but when it is what if you miss a friday and right? what, if, what if that's the day and i'm yeah. not there and she's like i'll call you and i'm like i don't take that chance I don't let my success fall into the hands of other humans. I'm going to call you every Friday because this is so important to me 
that I want you to know that every week I'm thinking about this and I'm going to, that's how serious we are. And that's how good and serious we're going to take it once we get the opportunity. So it was 2020. It was about April, March 31st or April 1st. It was right around then. And we finally got the meeting with the Padres. They met me in my little Italy location, which is right by the stadium. They tried the food. They're like, this is wonderful, Jeff. You're in. Mm -hmm. And I said, fantastic. Um, excuse me. This was March, uh, February 29th or March 1st, not April. Season started in April. Go back a month. I missed my days. So not not April Fool's Day. Not April Fool's Day. <laughs> and they said, they said, uh, wait, was it? Yes, it was. It was end of February, beginning of March. And they said, okay, we, we, we're happy to have you have a spot in the stadium. The season's about to start. Why don't we do this next year? I'm like, no way. I'm not, I'm not waiting a year. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, Jeff, we can't build you a, a kiosk, you know, build your, your thing in time takes two, three months. I'm like, I have a construction company. We'll build it. We'll be ready by your first homestand. And they go, you'll be ready by April 14th. I'm like, we'll be ready by April 1st, but we'll definitely be ready by April 14th. And they said, okay, they didn't believe me. So we did, we built it. And even though COVID happened and shut down the restaurants, we built side, we still built it and got it into the stadium. And we, we sold food in the stadium the year of COVID, even though it was half full and all those things. Hold on. I, I blew this story, man. I'm so sorry. It was actually 2019. This yeah. was 2019. Yeah, the year before COVID. Yeah. I was thinking, was like, wait, no, we didn't. Yeah, I was going to say, I, yeah. I was, I was actually going to ask you because no, it was nineteen. As I'm telling yeah. the story, COVID yeah, it was nineteen. Yeah, it was, was the like, year wait. before the COVID shutdown. That's yeah. right, because when COVID happened, we were still selling food in the stadium. But I was like, right. we were already there. 2019, right. we yeah. got in yeah. in time for the homestand. Had we not and got pushed for the year, we would have missed it because COVID. They would not have allowed us in in COVID. So right. because we were able to do that through WeBuild the year before, but I was calling them from 17, 18. Finally in 19, we got into the stadium and it's because we were pleasantly persistent. And yeah. again, it's how you do it. It's not, I'm not cold calling, hard selling. I'm saying, Hey, Susan, how are you? Any plans this weekend? Like I'm talking to Susan mm -hmm. and I'm trying to build a relationship with Susan and I'm doing it every Friday and I'm at first annoying and then cute. Mm -hmm. And it takes a tact to do that. Right. And I don't get upset and I expect her to say no, but I make the call anyway. And I'm like, hope you have a wonderful weekend, Susan. Mm -hmm. And over time, by the way, we built a friendship. And when she left Delaware North at the Padres and went to uh, the Aztecs and the Aztecs built the new stadium where Qualcomm is, guess what? She called me and we're in that stadium yeah. because we built a friendship while I was being a pain in the ass every Friday for two years. Right. That opened doors in the new stadium for me while I was still in Peco at the time. So one of the things that you talk about in here in your handout uh, your playbook to it's playbook to millions, right? Yep, yep. Yeah. So, so in the, in your playbook, that's that QR code we just showed in your playbook, you talk about, you talk about the script for the persistent, you know, mm -hmm. presently, pleasantly persistent. Right. And one of the things that you say to them is, do you have any fun, any fun plans this weekend? Mm -hmm. Right. What it does is it changes their demeanor. And they'll tell you about the dog park. They'll tell you about their kids are in town. They'll tell you about, right? And all of a sudden it's like, oh, great. You got kids? I do too. How old are your kids, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, you're literally getting to know, like by the time this whole thing happened, you had to have known Susan so well. You with me? I'm definitely with you. That's what I'm talking about is people... People give up after the second try. They give up after what you with me. And it's like, so I hired a coach when I started my podcast. I hired a coach. Do you know 98% of podcasts don't make it past the second episode? I did not know it was that bad. I knew the stat was bad. That's, un that that's bad. unreal, Jeff. 
That is absolutely unreal. The thing is, I always knew I was going to make it past two, right? We're approaching 90, you know? So anyway, it's this is this is one of those things where you just have to keep going. You just, and that's the thing about this book is it literally gives people the roadmap to success. Now, it's not mm -hmm. glamorous. It's not easy, right? It's not but hard. It can be done. It can. It's be not done. hard. It's yeah. not easy because it's different from what you're used to. Yeah. But it's not hard. And what you just articulated a minute ago is you have to be more interested in them than interesting and caring about what's in it for me. Like yeah. even I don't know if you paid attention, but I do this innately now because I've done it for so long. But like when we were talking before we hit record, I asked you about. I now know you have two kids in their twenties. I know where you grew up. I know where you live. I know that the home office, I know the real estate background. I, I asked you questions because I don't want this to just be about me. I, I need to learn and get to know you. Yeah. Not because I have any agenda. I don't. My agenda is to get to know you because I need to find, and this is where the name of the book feels icky to some, and I'm glad it's called relationship bank account because every relationship is like a bank account, yeah. whether it's your parents, your kids, your spouse, your friends, your coworkers, acquaintances, vendors, suppliers, customers doesn't matter. doesn't matter we have an unspoken ledger and either you have a lot of wealth in your bank account like your checking account with each other or you don't mm -hmm. i want to make deposits quickly and the way i can do that is is i have to learn about you because the more i know about you the more i can think and say okay what in my sphere of circle of life whether it's someone i know something i know how to do whatever can i do to create an immediate deposit with you so when we are done with this interaction i'm ahead and yeah. now i have some wealth built up together where you're like, hey, that guy, Jeff, man, he was cool. I want to, when I see something that's going to help his business, his life, his family, I'm going to hit him up. Yeah. That's what I want. It's selfish. And you have to think of it that way because we're all selfish creatures. Like when I take my kid when, you know, they're older now, but when I took them to the zoo when they were little babies, mm -hmm. it made me feel good. That's a selfish reason. Yeah, I took my child there. They enjoyed it, but I enjoyed it more watching them enjoy it. So it was being selfish. We're all very good with those things, but with each other and strangers, we miss so, I, I mean, People miss. And that's where it's like, you don't realize what doors could be created and open for you and windows. If you just start going through life, being interested, asking questions, and you don't know what to do. Like if I just met you, I say, Hey, what's that logo on your shirt? Right? Like I could start to ask you about things that you're trying to portray that are important. You yeah. could ask me about these jerseys or, you know, the big chicken over there or the ever bowl there or mm -hmm. the family picture or, or the book, whatever they're here as cues, right? We tell each other with how we dress, what we drive, what we have on, that's a pretty purse. Where'd you get it? I love your shoes. What what brand is that? Oh, that's a cool watch. Nice sunglasses. Where'd you go this weekend? Tell me about something about you. Ask questions. Get them talking. You do I that. Like your car. Start... Have, you ever, have you been in off roading long? Right. Exactly. That's straight. That's straight out of here. I just quoted you. <laughs> yes. yes. It's 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 literally that simple. It just takes effort. There's one other story that I want you to tell if it's okay. And I'm sorry to indulge, but I'm no. but I'm just as a huge favor to me. Please. I believe this is incredibly important. You went to go speak at a conference and you had your hat on backwards. You were dressed the way you normally dress, which is casual and comfortable and all that kind of stuff, right? And then you got up on, you were mingling around. Tell that story. Well, actually, you'll love this. It was with Roland Frazier in 2011 or 12 at Whoa, Traffic Roland. and Conversion Summit in San Diego. And Roland said, come speak, because I was partnered with Neil and doing digital marketing. And I said, sure. And so I had my hat on. Now, back then, also, it was even less uh, professional. 
like professional attire today is much more casual. Mm-hmm. Back then it was still very business, mm-hmm. collared shirts, ties, whatever. I was in a version of athletic pants, backwards hat, probably a hoodie or a t-shirt. And I was mingling with people and nobody would really talk to me. Like everybody would give you the, oh, hey, nice, nice to meet you. How quickly can I get out of this conversation look and go speak to somebody else? And I was doing it not at the time to realize what I was doing. I was just trying to make friends and meet people like I always do. But they were all ignoring me. And then I got on stage and I opened with it. And I said, hey, I saw the faces like, wait, he's the speaker. Oh, my gosh. And I explained to him, like, you guys all judged. A lot of people judged me because of how I'm dressed. But had they known I was the speaker, they would have talked to me. Mm-hmm. And that's the mistake. You think the checkout clerk at Albertsons, you think the guy who's dressed in a backwards hat, the woman who who maybe is on her phone and, and not paying attention, doesn't have immediate value to you. So you don't build relationship capital with them. But what you fail to realize is the best way to get to somebody who of stature or importance in your industry or A-list celebrity or, uh, you know, hiring CEO of a big company is through their sphere of influence. It's not directly, you know, I got to a lot of high powerful humans through other people and, and, you know, everybody is someone's mother, sister, brother, aunt, cousin, friend. And if I'd called the guy with the thousand employees size company and tried to get him as my payroll client, I would never would have gotten anywhere. Yeah. But his sister opened the door. And I walk through and that is the power of relationships. And so when you start to realize that everybody can be that gatekeeper for you, if you take it with intention, like, as I mentioned before, it's a matter of when, not if you're going to run into somebody who can help you. Yeah. And it happens. I mean, I, I don't want it to just think about business. Like my daughter, she goes, my oldest, she goes to Ole Miss in uh, Mississippi. I didn't know anybody there. Nobody. We knew nobody there. We, we got accepted. Um, I was going to buy a place out there for my, my wife and me to go when we visit her. So hired a realtor, made friends with the realtor, t- took him and his wife out to dinner. Didn't have to. He was just my realtor, but I, I like to make friends. Mm-hmm. Come to find out, he had two former clients that had friends or daughters that were in at Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. So when my daughter went there for orientation, there were two sophomore, well, soft, one was a sophomore, one was a junior. He connected me with their with them. I connected the girls with my daughter. They went out for whatever, pizza, coffee, whatever the hell they did. She had now she had two friends before she ever went to school. They were in a sorority. They got her introduced. She's now in that sorority and she's having the time of her life. And it was because of a friend, a realtor who introduced me to two people who introduced my daughter to people who made her experience at Ole Miss easier, better. And now some of these girls are some of her best friends. Is that making us money? No, but it's great for my daughter versus had she gone, maybe didn't know anybody, felt uncomfortable. Who knows if she would have had a great experience. I don't know. I don't care. I, I want her to have the best options, right? I want her to have access to all these opportunities. And it was because I took, you know, Tim, uh, Tim Mullins, if you're ever in Oxford, Tim Mullins is my realtor out there. He's amazing. There you go. Um, took him and his wife, we went to dinner and we built a friendship and a relationship and he helped my daughter and I bought a house and it, and it was all great, you know, like together. And that's the whole thing. It's like, you can do this everywhere you go. And I don't know why people don't. And so that was the purpose and spirit of my book. It came actually from LinkedIn because LinkedIn hired me to do a course because I think when you look at my track record in business and some of the people see now, like, you know, I work with Shaquille O'Neal and Drew Brees and Gary Vaynerchuk and big names that people may know. And they're like, how did you get access to these people? Like, what are you doing? Like, how did this happen? And they don't realize that it's curated through relationship capital. And as you do it, like all things, if you have more money, you can invest in more things and make more money. Well, if you have more relationship capital, you can 
get access to more people and build more relationship capital. And so you're seeing me further along than where you are, but don't think that it's a gap that you can't cross. You can build yourself to where I'm at and beat me very easily through dedication and attention. And so the book was really my my way of giving back and helping and saying, hey, this is how I've done it. Um, it's not complicated. You don't need a law degree or be intelligent, uh, extremely intelligent to do it. You can do this anywhere in the country. I, you know, I share these stories all the time, but I was just speaking in Madison, Wisconsin. And I have a videographer, Andrew, he comes with me where we go to capture content and we land and the Uber driver is driving us. And at first the Uber driver doesn't really want to talk because he's not used to it, but I'm chatty Kathy. I'm going to talk. And so I'm chatting with him. We're talking, Hey, you know, where, where should we go? First time in Madison, this, that, and the other thing. And I was there to speak at a state, um, uh, 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 to a sales team for, um, Northwestern mutual. And sorry, I blanked it for a second. Northwestern mutual hired me to come speak to their sales department. And I was like, yeah, I've never been here. So he eventually started talking. We started to get into a conversation and he told me about the best restaurant in, in Madison and he ended up helping us get a reservation. So we had one that night. And then we started talking about scuba diving and what he does for fun. And he goes to Cosmo, which is my favorite place to go scuba diving. And lo and behold, he's a huge diver and he's going in a couple of weeks. I'm like jealous. So we're chatting about scuba diving and he's like, man, I'll be there in, in April. And I usually go in March or April. And I was like, well, we should dive together. And so I got his number. So when I go to Cosmo and then I go to Northwestern Mutual and I meet a bunch of people and went to the dinner and um, met another person who was a big diver and he has an Airbnb in Cosmo and he offered to let me stay there. So now from going to speak at an event, I had access to the city. I now have friends to go dive with in Cosimo and mm -hmm. that's, this is life. And so yeah. you, again, my friends always say it's fenced or luck and I'll say it is, but everyone is fishing with one rod or reel. And I just put as many rods and reels as are on the boat are going in the water and I'm going to yeah. try. You're and I'm going to net out there, baby. Absolutely. If you give me a stick of dynamite, I'll drop that in the water and let's, let's so pick a up couple fish. of things. I'm a huge Sean Merriman fan. Huge. Yes. Love that guy. You <laughs> made the cool list. You made the cool list with my wife because of Drew Brees. She loves Drew Brees. Absolutely just loves that guy. Uh, so nothing like it, man. And then Roland, of course, is in there. And he's, you know, I just met Roland the other day for the first time. So we're oh. really, really connected. And it's true. Everything that's in here is true. The thing is, people just don't apply what they should apply. And this is literally the roadmap. Relationship bank account is the roadmap to success. Yep. It absolutely is. And the thing about it is you understand human communication on a level that almost nobody does. And in the almost 90 episodes that we've done, nobody has ever asked me the questions that you asked me before we hit record. Nobody, nobody's ever asked me, Hey, what, tell me about your audience. Tell me what you're trying to do. Tell me what your mission is. Tell me, right. Yep. None of that. Not even, not even remotely close. It's fascinating and to me. You can tell, don't. you can tell I spent three minutes with you and I knew, I mean, I, of course I read the book, but I knew within three minutes that I was with a master. I don't know about that, but no, I'm saying in terms of communication, you with me? The yep. thing that's the most brilliant about this is this is about active listening. People think that communication nowadays is I'm talking to you and you're thinking about what you're going to say next. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's the textbook definition of a debate. And I can tell you that because I was one of the best debaters in the nation in, in school. The thing is, a conversation is 
I'm talking to you, you're listening to what I'm saying. And then you're at some point, if you want to implement active listening, you're going to ask me about something I just said. Does that make sense? Because Absolutely. it gives you an opportunity to reach another level with people. And so that's why, I mean, I teach this stuff all the time and it's just, I want people to learn. I want people to learn how to not do this. Mm -hmm. Look around. Okay. And see that big, beautiful world because there really is a big, beautiful world out there filled with big, beautiful people like you, right? Like that grocery store clerk, like you with me, those people yes. that were in that room that were ignoring you because you weren't dressed as good as they were. Okay. Well, it's, it's, it's like you just said, but it's, what do you want? And the second yeah. you make the determination, what do I want? Do you want more wealth? Do you want more opportunity? Do you want to have more fun? Do you want abundance? If the answer is yes to those four things, unless you're Mark Zuckerberg and can code Facebook from your dorm room and you're so intense, or you're Elon Musk and create companies that are things that I just can't do. I, like I said, I'm an ordinary guy. So I had to figure out what extra stuff to do to get extraordinary results. And once I figured out the formula, now it's just applying it over and over and over again. And I want to build relationships with as many quality human beings as I can. And the way you build a relationship is you ask questions and you get them to talk so you can learn about them. And the more you learn about them, the more they're going to like you because people like to talk. And that's the thing. When you realize human beings, like who we are, we all want to be heard. We want to talk about ourselves. We want to talk about our kids. We want to talk about our companies. We want to talk, 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 talk. And so if you want to build a relationship, ask, 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 ask. Mm -hmm. Let them talk. Listen. Find another question. Go deeper. Go deeper there. And then what they're going to tell you is what's important to them, what challenges they're dealing with. I mean, I'll share one more story because I think it'll help the audience. I work with a lot of big name human beings. Um, people always ask me, like, oh, how, how, how did you get Gary Vaynerchuk or Shaquille mm -hmm. O'Neal to do business with you? The difference between me and most people who go out to them is most people go up to them with, this is my company, Gary. How can you help me? Mm -hmm. Gary, what would you do? If, and this is my situation. This is how cool my company is or where I'm struggling. How can you help me? And for Gary, he's like, I mean, sure, I can give you some tips, I can give you some advice, but I'm a human being. And you're not looking at me as a human being, you're looking at me as a platform. A resource. Yeah. I went up to Gary, you know, because we were both speaking at the same event and we were backstage and we finally got to hang out for a few minutes. And I asked him the same question I asked most people. Gary, what is one passion project or big challenge that you're dealing with right now that you either haven't solved or are working to solve this year? That simple question. And he talks to me about his uh, product V friends, these little toys that he's selling. He's like, I, I have my V friends and I want to sell them in uh, vending machines in retail stores around the country. And I want people to be able to come and buy them. Mm -hmm. That sounds cool. What's the challenge? And he goes, I haven't found a retailer yet to put them in. I have almost a hundred Everbulls around the country, Gary, would you want to put them in my stores? You do that? Sure. I have customers. That'd be fun. Why not? You know, I, I like, I like your V friends. I like you, Gary. I like what you stand for. He's like, that'd be incredible. I'm like, done. And he connected me with his team. Then the three of two of his guys, Gary, me went on a zoom. We started chatting about the details. My team got involved. We just executed the deal. It's coming out in 24, which is this year. You're going to hear about it. You're going to see them in all the Everbulls. He's going to do some cross promotions together. I'm going on his, his podcast. He's going to come on mine. We're going to, he's going to do some meetups in Everbull. And now Gary Vaynerchuk's engaged with Everbull. He's helping me grow it. And Gary being the incredible human, he goes above and beyond. The second we signed the contract, he immediately said, Jeff, I want you on my show. I want to add more value to Everbowl. I want to do all these things for you. Mm -hmm. I never asked him to do any of those things. Yeah. I asked him his problem. I had a way to help him 
It was going to be mutually beneficial because people will come to Everbull to buy his V-Friend toys. Maybe they'll buy a bull. We can all win together. And now I can text him right now. He'll text me back. We can do business together. And he's going to help my brand Everbull. Am I lucky? Or did I just approach the relationship different? I said, how can I help you and lead with value? Where most people say, Gary, how can you help me and lead with their hands out? Yeah. And the second you can figure out how to switch that chasm in all relationships. I'm telling you, the that, doors don't open. It. There is no doors. That's There's absolutely no... it. That's absolutely it. You know, I've been the top producer in in the companies that I've been in for years, right? And it was always, Mike, you got a minute? Mike, you got a minute? Mike, you got a minute? Right? And I'd sit down with them. I got to a point to where now they have to sit with me. They'd get in my car. Mm -hmm. I'd put them in my car and we would spend the day together. At the end of the day, they would come back to me and go, okay, because everybody thinks there's a secret, Jeff. They think there's a secret shortcut that you know and I know that nobody else knows, right? And here's how you can do it and not have to work hard. At the end of the day, they would look at me and go, you're out of your mind. I could never do this for a living. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Go do something else. Go sell That's donuts. Right. Okay. Yeah. Go do something One else. One other thing that I'm going to share with you that I learned I was getting ready. I was thrown into a situation where I had less than 10 minutes notice. And I was supposed to speak before thousands of people. And I thought I was, I was having a panic attack and I had been a professional public speaker for years. Right. I mean, I, you know, this wasn't, this wasn't a new thing for me. Okay. But there were a lot of people in that audience and I had an epiphany and the epiphany was if I cared more about them than I did about how I looked on stage or about me, right. That, completely freed me up and it turned me into somebody on stage that I that I always wanted to be I always wanted to be that person that brought it just absolutely 1000% brought it like if you've ever been to a Tony Robbins I'm sure you have but that's that kind of thing right yep. um yeah I just I mean it's just anyway it just it just was a it was a real moment for me and it was something that just absolutely drove me so I cannot, is there anything you'd like to cover before, by the way, is the million dollar, is the million dollar playbook, is that coming out as a book? No, that's oh, just, okay. a free, so just a bonus. Just a free, yeah, just a free bonus. Um, yeah, no, I think, uh, I think for your audience sake, you know, if you're listening to this, you made it through this much and you're either not sure how and what you could be remarkable at because you want to be successful, you don't love your industry or, or you just haven't figured out the path, I would say to you the easiest thing and I'll, I'll just quickly share it. It's one of my keynotes is what I talk about. It's a success formula that has worked for me. And I'll just share it with you really quickly. And, you know, you can reach out to me if you want to go deeper and hear more about it. But um, there's five simple formulaic rules to success. Mm -hmm. If you do these five, you will be successful. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. Number one, make friends and have fun. Mm -hmm. Make as many friends as you can and have fun doing whatever it is you're doing. Number two, take immediate decisive action. So many people sit on the sidelines waiting for some other option and don't realize that the time to do something is right now. Mm -hmm. Number three, Kaizen. You may suck at it today, but go at it with the idea of getting 1% better every single day. Who cares what you are today? Tomorrow, you can be better and better and better and better and better. Number four, try to be remarkable. Don't aim for perfect. You hit perfect on the way to remarkability. The definition of being remarkable is, did you give 100% of your best effort that you have today into whatever it is you're doing? That's it. So if you're really bad at it, that's okay. Be really bad at it, but give 100%. Mm -hmm. If you could do that every day, you're aiming towards remarkability. And the last one is be change ready. The world is constantly 
changing. And yeah, if you as a right human right. aren't change ready and you're so dogmatic in your views and this is how I do things and I will never change, you'll go extinct because the world's always changing, whether it's social media, whether it's, you know, the macro events like COVID and supply chain and presidential elections and wars and um, the internet and AI and crypto and you pick it. It doesn't really matter, right? You have to be willing to change. And if you're going to change, it's scary. You're like, well, I've always done it this way. How am I going to start over? How am I going to do this? Very easy. Go back to rule number one, make friends and have fun, take immediate decisive action, Kaizen your way to becoming very good, aim for remarkability and be change ready. You do those things over and over again, and you too can have an immense level of success. And the rule number one is the most important, make friends and have fun. And through those relationships, it's incredible how many opportunities will again come. And no longer is it doors open, it's there's no more doors. It's just this open world and you get to walk on this uncrowded, some people say the high road, but we'll just say this uncrowded road with other high achievers that are looking for more humans to do life and business with. And when you start to do that, you realize, oh my gosh, it's so much easier than I thought. It does take work. It's not overnight. It's a daily focused effort, mm -hmm. but you're alive anyway, and you're working anyway. So go do it and have all the success you want, all the financial freedom, all the abundance in relationships and all the opportunities. Pleasantly persistent, baby. Pleasantly persistent. Two, two final questions. What was your favorite thing about writing this book? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, having to actually articulate, well, writing the book, I'm going to change it, doing the course for LinkedIn, because the book was a built off the course I did for LinkedIn. Okay. Um, LinkedIn hired me to do a course on relationships. And then I what's it called? What's the, what's the course called? Um, it's in LinkedIn Learning Library. Okay. Content. Okay. Um, you can just search by my name and see it. I have two courses with them. Okay. If you're a premium member, it's free. If you're not, you can just message me. I can send it to you through their platform. But something on relationships, it's their course. They named it. Okay. I just was the person doing the stuff. Um, the part of that was the taking this concept that I was doing innately and doing, you know, that I had learned and, and doing and having to frame it into chapters and like an organized thesis and an organized outline, like that process of going, okay, how did we do that? And how can I teach that? And what would I do if I had to tell my child how to do that? And, and just going through that process, it, it made me more aware of what I was doing, mm -hmm. which made me actually better at it by writing the book and doing the course. Because now I was like, oh my gosh, look at all those times that worked. What if I do that more? Mm -hmm. What if I do that now that I'm aware of what I was doing? And so having to think back through all the different ways that I've built these relationships, uh, that, and then if you notice in the book, at the end of every chapter, I ask a friend to answer three questions. And um, you get to hear from, you know, David Meltzer's and Drew Brees's and Dan Fleischman's and Roland Frazier's. They're all in the book. Neil Patel's. Yeah, they're all yeah. there. Pat Flynn's. Um, and getting to hear their answers, you know, and um, Neil was just on my podcast. The episode's going to be coming out in a few weeks. And he answered one of the questions in a way, that was not how I expected when I asked him, would you rather know? One of the questions is, would you rather know a thousand people really well, or would you rather a million dollars? And he, he'd rather the million dollars. Yeah. And knowing right. Neil, he's not the guy who wants to go make friends with everybody, but he's brilliant. Mm -hmm. Okay. He has something I didn't. So if you're extremely talented and extremely brilliant, you may not need other humans, but most people need to lean on a community to elevate and we either rise together or fall together. So that was my other favorite part was getting to ask them those questions and um, getting to include them in my book. So That's now awesome. they're part of the book, which was fun. That's awesome. So next, so final question, okay. what is your favorite thing 
about your podcast? So the Jeff Fenster show is all about success formula. So as I mentioned, I think success is formulaic. I think we overcomplicate how to do it. If you follow a formula, you can be successful as I gave you mine. And it's getting to have influential, successful humans on my show, hear their stories, but really get into what has made them successful over and over and over again. And then now that we've done a bunch of episodes, getting to see the common traits of highly successful humans and what are their insecurities and what are the things they had to overcome. And when you start to realize we're all the same. And the difference is those who have figured out the formula and versus those who haven't. And the scary thing for a lot of, for me, is a lot of people know the formula. They just don't apply it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my show, the purpose is to help more people apply. I, I want there to, I want everyone to be successful. And the reason is selfish. If everybody's a multimillionaire and everyone has all the abundance of wealth and opportunity, they're all going to be able to leave a better impact in this world. There'll be way cooler companies and way cooler products and services for me to enjoy. There'll be a much happier uh, environment will be less polarized. And as a result, society gets better. And I want to be in a very highly elevated society. In order to do that, I need everyone listening to be extremely successful. If you haven't figured out how to be successful, made enough money at this time in my life, what am I going to do? And how am I going to leave my mark on this world and still put my energy and passion into something? And so, you know, like a lot of people, once you've achieved a level of financial stability or, or success, how do you give back? Because you find out that helping others is more fulfilling than doing it for yourself. And so getting to be part of other people's success stories and helping them realize it's not as complicated and hard as you think it is and help point them in the right direction. I love that. And so that's that's my favorite thing. And then I get to invite really cool humans into my into my headquarters. We have a cool studio and people I know and people I am just meeting through the show. And so I'm getting to continue to build and strengthen my relationship capital. Rising tide lifts all boats, right? Rising tide lifts all boats. And then there's a secret in the back. I don't really show this, but in my control room, we have a wall. And every guest has to sign and leave a message. And that wall has so many incredible messages. So I can go in there anytime. And like, you know, Drew Brees, just to use him, like his says, how you do anything is how you do everything. Drew Brees. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you know, Tim Grover, you know, talks about winning. And Cody Sanchez talks about boring companies. And, you know, all these cool, Jen Gottlieb talks about being seen, you know, and all these things that were, it's like, if I'm having a little rough moment and I need to go through my little pity party moment, I can just go in this room and read the wall and be like, look at, I'm surrounded by brilliance. And all I got to do is just follow and read it. And so it keeps me, keeps me grounded. I love that, buddy. I love that. Is there anything else you want to cover before we wrap up? No, the time is now though. I mean, we're, we're, I don't know when it's going live, but we're filming this beginning of January. Like, please, if the number one thing that I want from anybody is just to take action and, and implement and just do it. Cause I assure you, if you just start, if you just take action, if you just begin you are going to be further ahead than most. You will continue to do just-in-time learning. You will create just-in-time opportunities. But you can do this stuff today. Like you don't need to go to college and get a degree if you don't have one or go learn a new skill. Like start making friends with everybody today. That was kind of the theme of our episode, but you know, it's what I'm most known for is my relationship capital. And I think if you go do that, you're going to see so many things open up. Your life will change. And a year from today, you're going to go back and, and, and remember this episode and you know, Mike's podcast is going to be the one that changed your life, whether it's with me or anyone else. But what he's doing is so great. You're already listening. You're already taking and, and eating the, the 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 meal. So now implement, go do it. Because that is the part that no one can help you, but you, you've got to just do it. And go get this book. And go get the book. Go get this book. I love you, buddy. Thank you so much. This, has been, this has been absolutely amazing. One of my favorite episodes ever. 
I really appreciate your time. I know how busy you are. Thank you for making the time to be our guest on the Michael Litton Experience. I really appreciate you having me. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate you. We hope you enjoyed another episode of the Mike Litton Experience. If you did, do us a favor, smash that subscribe button, tell your friends, family, and coworkers about our program, and wherever you get your podcasts, please leave us a rating. It helps us to connect with quality people just like you. And that's a wrap. Another episode of the Mike Litton Experience in the books. Reach out to Mike on Instagram at Litton Realty. Want to meet with Mike? Check out calendly.com slash Rio 760.